0: Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, a safe place for leading with your heart. Hey, thanks for being here. You, Me, Empathy is the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective, a collaborative mental health community designed to empower each of us to grow our capacity for empathy, vulnerability, and emotional wayfinding. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is for educational, and entertainment purposes only, and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known is just a silly boy with a feely heart. You can support the show by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts, following us on social media at Yumi Empathy and Feely Human, and joining the Feely Human Collective community at FeelyHuman.co. And now, your host, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of You, Me, Empathy. My name is Noan Wells. I am your host. I'm also the founder of the Feely Human Collective. Emphasis on the collective. Truly. Collective. This is how we do it. We are a collective. We are not individualists. Let Let me repeat that. We are collective. We are in this together. We are strength because of our intersectionality, let's honor it. Let's use it. Let's use our privilege to go forth and fight. Uh, right now, mm, look, I'm already getting into it. <laughs> A few days ago, Roe versus Wade was taken away, and um, gosh, it's uh, it's weird times. It's hard times, and uh, so this week uh, over at the Feely Human Collective, which is my little business. This week, the shop, uh, every purchase in the shop, 50% off, goes to Feminist Center. Uh, they are a black-led repro- uh, reproductive justice organization that provide reproductive health and abortions uh, in the southeast, in the Atlanta area. Uh, so uh, check them out. I will provide a link to that in the show notes. So uh, again, feelyhuman.co Every purchase this week through Sunday, fifty percent of the proceeds go to the feminist center. So it's a it's a heavy time, it's a weird time, it's a collective grieving time. It feels like we've been saying collective grief, collective trauma for a while now. And I'm a I'm a straight white man. I've got it fucking great. So what does that mean, right? I feel overwhelmed. I feel a lot of these things, right? So we rest, we we take our time and we keep doing what we can. What is what what can we keep doing? We can't afford to allow this to to, to stop us in our tracks, to 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 move us to complacency, right? And it's why I'm really grateful that actually I have Kate Spencer on the show today, so I'll get to that in a second. But Kate Spencer is co-host of the wonderful podcast Forever 35, where they talk about self-care, serums, among other things. And Kate has written a book, uh, a romance novel, called In a New York Minute, which I read and is a delight, a GD delight. Uh, I don't read many romance novels, and this is just a delightful one. I I told Kate it reminds me of the movie Serendipity. It has a wonderful meet-cute. Really loved it. And so Kate and I talk about, well, first we talk about her undying love for the band Fish. We talk about the weird tension and feeling of trying to sell our creative work during such a as i mentioned collectively traumatic time in our history kate's delightful new rom- romance novel in a new york minute and why the genre of romance can be a salve a salve a salve a salve i think salve for grief and provide some momentary relief from the heaviness of the world and that that is where we dig in a lot today which is which is what i really want to talk about which is this we need in this fight or maybe maybe a less aggressive term. Maybe it is a fight. A fight is important, right? Um, we need pause, too. We need to rest. We need to recuperate. You know, us helpers know this. Us highly sensitive people know this. We can't give all of ourselves. Otherwise, we're not going to be useful. We need to be useful in our empathy, as as we said in my episode with Stephanie whittles We need to be useful. We need to keep fighting Leading with our hearts, caring for our communities, caring for our people. Keep at it. And we need to rest as part of that. And a great way to do that is to read romance novels. So Kate talked about how reading the Twilight series in particular was a thing that saved her after she lost her mom to pancreatic cancer, which is so devastating. But it saved her. It, it, it was a, a an escape. It was a salve for her grief. Um, it was a it was a relief, escape from a, a a world that felt so heavy for a moment, and we need that from time to time. So I will say keep moving forward, keep doing the work that you know you need to do for our communities, for our collective. And read fucking romance novels because we need that too. And I would start with In a New York Minute, which is so good. And I it needs you and it needs your heart and Kate's a delight. And the link uh, for that is in the show notes. You can get it wherever. Uh, go to your local bookshop is the best place. But you can also go to bookshop.org is a great place. Of course, Amazon sells it. But, you know, don't support that capitalist pig if you can. Um, but yeah, uh in the New York minute, it's great, it's wonderful. I really love this conversation. Last thing I'll say again, feethehuman.co, the shop this week. 50% of the proceeds go to the Feminist Center. Uh, in addition to that, uh over at patreon.com/slash I am doing a new bonus uh spin-off podcast called Movies That Make Us Feel. And we've done the movie Turning Red. We've done Harriet the Spy. We've also done... uh, No, we've done two. Upcoming with my friend Katya Litsky, uh, we're doing uh, uh, Dirty Dancing. So look forward to that for July. Uh, So if you want to support me there, it's five bucks a month. Please do. It really does uh, help. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, Go to patreon.com slash human. Uh, what else? What else do I want to say? Oh, uh, Storied Hats. Um, uh, they're not a sponsor, but um, they did give me a code. So if you go to Storied, S-T-O-R-I-E-D, hats.com and uh, check out their sustainably made hats. Great hats. Love them. Uh, if you use the code FEELY, F-E-E-L-Y, you can get 10% off. Storiedhats.com. Use code FEELY. Get 10% off. If you want to join the next Feely Hikes for July, uh, TBD on the date, but uh, would love to see you. Go to go to feelyhuman.co. Sign up for Feely Hikes. Please rate and review the podcast. does help out the show. Follow the show on Instagram. Follow Feely Human on Instagram. We're looking for more writers for Feely Human. So if you're a writer, check that out on feelyhuman.co. Everything's at feelyhuman.co. So check that out. And... Um, Yeah, that's about it. The last thing I'll say is I'm working on, and if you're interested and you want to like ping me about it, I'm considering sort of a shift away from social media, to be honest. I'm only on Instagram, but there's this new platform that I found that could be really uh, useful for all of us and could sort of, I don't know, be really meaningful and impactful for all of us to get us sort of in front of each other in more meaningful ways. So look out for that potentially uh, down the line. But let's get to this episode, this wonderful episode with the wonderful Kate Spencer on Romance Books as a Salve for Grief.
1: I love you. you, 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 me. 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 Empathy. Me.
0: Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective. On this show, we explore the struggles, the triumphs, the brights, and the darks we face as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight, so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I am oh so ever grateful to be here with co-host of the award-winning <laughs> podcast Forever 35, Author of The Dead Bombs Club and In a New York Minute, and the world's number one fish fan. It's Kate Spencer. Oh, Hello, thank Kate. You.
1: Hi, I really appreciate the final title that you gave me. That is, I am seeing fish tomorrow. They are my favorite band. And so, you know what? Forget professional accomplishments. That fish. is what I want to be known as the fish. number one fish fan.
0: <clears throat> so, Let's get into that. Actually. Okay. Because I, I there's something I I enjoy fish. And there's something about a jam band that is very it feels very cozy. It feels very I don't know. It feels aligned to self-care in a weird way because it's cozy, because it's like you're wrapped in a blanket almost. What is the feeling of being at a fish concert? I've never seen them live.
1: Oh my goodness. <clears throat> the feeling for me of being at a fish concert is one of like pure cel- celebration, exaltation—is that a word?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like
1: that's a word used in like church, <laughs> but I. But it's really kind of euphoric and joyful and very community focused. I I actually mm-hmm. see a lot of fish shows by myself. Um, I don't have a ton of friends. Who are super into fish or the ones that are, like, you know, they, my, one of my best friends who I used to see fish shows with has a young, younger child. So we haven't been to as many in recent years together. But so, so sometimes I go alone, but it still feels like a community even when I don't know anybody. And it's just really special. And, you know, it's interesting because I've been going to fish shows since I was 15 and I'm, no, excuse me, since I was 16 and I'm 42. So that's now most of my life. and obviously the scene and the music and the people have changed but kind of like the energy and the that like joyful feeling has been consistent and that is just that's why i keep going
0: i love that i i think that i mean that is the vibe i get it feels like this uh r- radical joy in the face of what is often overwhelming and hard that being living right and yeah. i think we need that sort of reminder to to deepen our connection to to joy and i, I love that you feel sort of seen in, in part of a community when you're when you're experiencing these things it's wonderful
1: yeah and i think you know a lot of times people equate these jam bands to like dr- to just presumed drug usage <laughs> starting with, you know, the Grateful Dead. And there's obviously a larger kind of world of jam bands. But for me, I, I'm i not a big substance user ever. And I mostly see shows sober. And there's like a wonderful sober fish community that meets at set break called the Fellowship. And <laughs> there are just all these wonderful kind of micro communities in the fish world. And I think, you know, especially like sober fish fans that they can often get overshadowed by the kind of like, emphasis on like drug culture always being associated with jam bands and so i always like to point that out like there are a lot of people seeing fish not under the influence of anything and still experiencing
0: mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. a
1: euphoric feeling just from the music and that energy it's just it's just the best i'm really excited
0: is there is there a show in the 30 30- I guess almost 30 years you've been seeing fish. Is there a show that stands out in your heart as being sort of pivotal?
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, there are shows that for me were like transformative in terms of like my love of the band. But I will say a recent fish show that I saw that was, it was just like everything about it was perfect. Like sometimes you, and I've seen like upwards. I think I'm, beyond 80 fish shows in my lifetime. I thought I was at a hundred and then I like went back and really counted and I'm not quite at a hundred, but I'm close. How did you go
0: back and count?
1: Oh gosh. I mean, you there's so many resources for fish fans, but fish.net is an amazing website and you can create a profile and then you can go through every fish show and track which ones you attended. And then you can see like your statistics of like, Oh, I've seen this song this many times. And it's just, yeah. Wow, fish fans are like inherently like geeks and like data nerds, and okay. yeah, It's
0: like the um, Goodreads for fish fans.
1: Truly, yes. Without without kind of the drama of the comments, I think Goodreads <laughs> can get a little intense. But um, it, there was a recent show that I saw at the L.A. Forum, and I had just broken my hand <laughs> very severely like the day before. And I still went and the it was just like the one of the best set lists. It was so much fun. And it just was one of those moments where you're like, oh, I, this is why I do this. And I've been doing this since I was a teenager and like why I keep coming back to this band. They just never s- cease to, you know, like d- do something new or surprise me in a new way. And that's what, mm. what makes them so exciting for me. So it's the LA Forum show from 2020, October 2021 is
0: a recent favorite. Got it. Got it. And... Potentially the last Fish question. Favorite What if, we, what if we only? only t- <laughs> t- I mean, <laughs> I just. <laughs> I, I mean, why not? Why not? <laughs> uh,
1: um, so, Fish is tricky because they have studio albums. Then they also have released a lot of live shows themselves, and then yeah. they also have a really big, strong taper movement. So that means they've always encouraged fans to they can you can buy specific taper seats. I mean, taping is now not really what happens, but in the 80s and 90s, people were taping onto actual cassette tapes and got then trade and
0: then it. trading the copies of these shows around. So that's interesting. Like so <clears throat> when you said taper, I'm like the the animal? T-A-P-I-R?
1: No. T A P E R. Yeah. So it. they will record the show and then um share the audio recording. And this is something that happens um that The Grateful Dead does. And I'm not into like many other current jam bands, but I'm assuming they all do this. It's like kind of a big part of jam band culture is to be Really kind of um, like generous with access to the music, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I love and that, and so I don't know if I have a favorite fish studio album, which is so weird. I realize, like, when you think about a band, I mean, I think Rift is a really <sighs> picture of nectar, these are kind of like classic early 90s fish mm-hmm. albums that mm-hmm. are very good. Album, I mean, they're all I like all their albums, but. Fish is so much more of it's like a concert band that I always think more of them in terms of like, what show do I love versus what album do I love?
0: That's fair. And does your partner like Fish? No, no, hmm. this is
1: not something we share. My husband is, we have very different tastes in music. Um, he's like a huge Billy Joel fan. He writes musical theater. He and he loves right. musical. Like I learned about Sondheim through him. Sure. Um, but in our the course of our, you know, many years-long relationship, he has seen two fish shows. I have seen many Sondheim shows uh-huh. on Broadway. And he also loves Ben Folds. He loves like piano rock. Uh-huh. Um, sure. So we have shared each other's musical interests with the other. Um, but no, this is not something that uh, he enjoys, and actually, like, I'm fine with that. I don't like. I like. I'm happy having it be my own thing.
0: Yeah. Well, it's. I ask because I think what is increasingly like important for my relationship uh, and my partner Jessica and I have been married for, I guess, going on twelve years uh, together for over fifteen, and I think what is very crucial is shared interests, but also separate interests. Yes, totally.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: How is like, are you, are you disparate in other ways with you and your, your husband?
1: I think the things that we, the thing that we really share is a sense of humor and we met performing improv comedy. And so we both have this kind of brain that looks at the world through a comedic lens mm-hmm. and i think that is what really connected us we're both like very verbal big conver- like conversationalists love discussing things love consuming news and information and art and so i think in a larger sense that, that is our shared Mm-hmm. Um, interest mm-hmm. you know like we don't necessarily read the same books or always watch the same tv shows I mean sometimes we do we have our shared shows but um, I think it's more our ability to really kind of like discuss and analyze and communicate and have fun together that really um, connects us we also both like both enjoy traveling and good mm-hmm.
0: food mm-hmm. important yeah. yes uh, staples I mean yeah we need to eat to live
1: we need to eat to live and like, it should be satisfying. It should, should taste, it should, that should also bring joy.
0: It should. Absolutely.
1: Hopefully if it can,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So how, like, speaking of sort of the, the self-care realm of like the joy of seeing a fish show, mm. how has this, how has your self-care been in sort of the, the, cycle promo marketing machine, capitalist machine of like marketing your book. And like how how has that been for you? Because I know that that I speak with many authors and that that is stressful and it's maybe especially stressful in the time of COVID. Like how has that been for you?
1: Yeah, may I swear no is that
0: oh fuck yes. Yeah. Okay. All <laughs> all language matters. All, you Thank know, you. Intent I- is is what matters. Yeah.
1: Go ahead. I think it's a little bit of a mindfuck in a way to be a, a writer publishing work because on the one hand it's like it's cr- creative and mm-hmm. you know I wrote this book not having already sold it so it was just kind of like me going for it but then the intent is to sell it like right like the intent is to make money off of it but it's also this thing that I kind of birthed out of my brain so it's it's very confusing creating. In a capitalist structure. And I feel like only as an adult recently have I kind of been really like, what the fuck is capitalism? And how am I a cog in this wheel? Mm -hmm. And how do I enjoy participating? Even though I know inherently, I don't think it's a really great system, but sometimes, but many ways I benefit, you know, like looking at all that stuff has been kind of illuminating. So I will say that I have been really lucky in that the Publisher and the team I get to work with has just been amazing. And so they've made this experience, I think, as as fun and easy and like seamless and lovely as it can be. And it is hard to try to sell yourself and sell your work. And it can feel especially gross when you're doing so. And there is so much grief and sorrow and heaviness existing simultaneously in the world, you know? Mm. Like, Mm-hmm. here, Here I am trying to like sell my book in a pandemic as war rages and people die. You know, it's just it can be really um, unsettling, yeah. But at the same time, the other thing that i I kind of look toward when I have to do you know, I have to like promote my book is that like i I really wanted to write something that would be fun for people to read and because i i have gotten so much out of the books that i read over the years in terms of like being a salve for my grief or whatever you know kind of challenges i was experiencing and so i really i've always dreamt of writing a book that would give people that feeling that like escape and that kind of like feeling of relief from the heaviness of the world and so i think i did accomplish that with this book and that That brings me a lot of joy through this Mm. process. (laughs) Um, Ultimately, like, you know, I I hope it sells because I want to keep being paid to write books because I, you know, I do want to like be able to help my kids pay to go to college if they choose and all that, you know, all the reasons why we do acquire money, um, but in the at the core of it, like just knowing that maybe someone read it and it made their day feel a little better mm-hmm. is keeps me going. That like really n- makes it all like it, that clarifies why I'm I'm doing it.
0: I love that, and it did that for me. Uh, to oh. be very clear, I, what I sort of often come back to on this show is like I too can get overwhelmed by like I am operating in this system. Like how can I? sort of hold the truth of like wanting to burn it the fuck down and also understanding that like, maybe that's not useful and maybe that's not even in my capacity. Mm. And so how are, how are, what are some like ways I can be resistant to it or radical in that, in how I create or in how I show up in spaces and how I listen and, 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 you know, you're creating this book, you wrote this book in a New York Minute, and you're telling me, and I believe it to be true, it was for me, you're creating space for joy, which is resistance to the, mm, the, the, yeah. the mess and the overwhelm. And it's, it's a, I mean, I've always felt the books are empathy just as movies are like as Ebert said right mo- mo- movies are empathy machines so books are the mm-hmm. same way it allows us into characters it allows us to see ourselves through them and escape is a and imagination is a crucial part of empathy yes and care right like we can't be uh at the front of the the uh, march all day every day like that we just like we're human we can't do that so we need all of it we need the we need the sort of joyful escape that allows us in to to breathe and we need to you know fucking cancel elon musk like we need it all right <sighs> yeah, do
1: we ever goodness
0: gracious yeah so
1: yeah, we do. Yeah, I mean I think it's, you know, I get that way too where I'm, I I'm like, oh my god. I get I get very kind of catastrophic and like doomsday focused
0: mm-hmm. and then like Me too.
1: deeply like angry at myself for not doing everything I can and then I kind of have to take a step back and be like I'm doing what I can and I'm one person and I can make change but also like the world is not all on my shoulders, you know. Yes. Cause it's, cause yes. It can be very it can be very very hard to navigate those feelings of like that, that need to like. I mean, I think that comes from empathy too. It's like it's impossible not to see everything happening around us and not want to do as much as we can, mm-hmm. but then immediately feel burnt out and like, and like we can't ever do enough. And so figuring out that balance is like. Such a challenge. I struggle with that all the time.
0: I do too. Uh, I always say empathy without boundaries is self-destruction.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: Like we, otherwise, us helper sensitive people are just going to burn ourselves out. We're just going to, we're going to burn ourselves out to a point where we're not going to be useful. We're not going to be able to do the things that we want to do. You're not going to be able to write or I'm not going to be able to, speak on mental health or whatever it may be like we're not gonna be useful in sort of the the dismantling or whatever whatever we're we're working toward right
1: Yeah I mean you do have to recharge in order to be able to fight the good fight in whatever way that looks like to you right like you have mm-hmm. to have moments of of pause and taking care of yourself because you're you're not helpful to anyone if you <clears throat> aren't fun you know able to function
0: yes indeed. So, as I was reading in a New York Minute, your, uh, you know, soon to be New York Times best selling book I mean, is it New
1: York Times bestselling book? It's not, and I don't yeah, think it's going to be. Well, I mean, it and should be. God damn it! Well, uh, that's very nice of you. I, you know, what I had to like let that go. I had, I had to like really look at that and be like, is this something? Like this is something I feel like I've been told I need and I want, mm-hmm. and am I going to be okay if I don't get it? And do, is this really my own want? You know, and like, what does it even what does it even matter? So no, it's not. But it but it, many people have it, have been reading it, and that has that is that is my own New York Times bestseller list. Uh, well, in my I heart,
0: mean, I think that's such a important. Curiosity, uh, something to be curious about. Because you're right. Like we have expectations of a thing, right? Mm-hmm. We put that on, and we we embody it. We think about it, and then we attach that to what success means, right? And then we just often we we do that to the point where we we eventually just disappoint ourselves, like yeah. naturally, right? Yeah. Because it's too. It's based on something culturally or something someone says we have to have i'm a writer like this is the narrative i'm supposed to become the new york times whatever it may be like that's and really it's a personal journey and and maybe it goes back to what you said before it like let's reset and remember that we are impacting one reader at a time
1: yes i mean now like it had if my book had been on the New York Times bestseller list, would I be incorporating that into every sentence? Yes, I would. <laughs> I would have updated every buy. Like, of course, we hunger for these like measures of success. Like, yes, yes, yes. But then you know, but I have been doing some thinking of like, you know, well, so what? Like, what if I'm? What if I'm not? Mm-hmm. Then what? You know, and that, and I think you describe that feeling of like. You know, we set these goals for ourselves, which is like, well, if I just accomplished this thing, then I will have done it. And for me, that was like writing a book and I did it. But then like immediately, I'm very quick to be like, oh, no, 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 that's not the thing. Here's the next carrot I'm going to dangle in front of myself in order to like justify my self-worth. And, it's, and so I, I have been doing a lot of thinking about all this
0: stuff. Um, it's very human, that, that's, that right. thing, right? Yeah, we yeah. all do
1: it in whatever respective ways we do it. But yeah. Anyway, sorry, I went on a tangent there. I, I love what it. We were I
0: talking about. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say that one of the, I don't know, I I thought of a movie when I was reading your book, and that movie is Serendipity.
1: Oh, a good one! A
0: good one. It's it's a great one. It's one of my favorites, and I, I there's something about that movie and your book that are very, well, very New York, right? It's mm-hmm. very. Uh, it's very serendipitous, to, to, for lack of a better word. Um, and it's um, the meet cute in your story is very serendipitous and it's very like funny and, and you know, it's, it's very like this can happen to anyone, which feels like the I mean, that is the perfect setup for a romantic comedy or a romance in general is like, oh, that could be me right which yes. feels good right it feels really good and i'm so when i say that i'm wondering for you like what as you were creating this story like what were some of the touchstones in your mind in terms of books you love movies you mm-hmm. love stories you've cherished as as a as a reader and a viewer
1: i mean when harry met sally is probably one of it's probably my favorite movie so good. Uh, It's so good. And I watch it about once or twice a year. And I, every time I do, I feel relief that like for the most part it is, it is, it holds up, you know, you know, you and I are similar in similar age and what I have found, which is like very troubling every time is I go back and rewatch these movies that I cherished as a younger person. And then it's like so deeply problematic on like 50 different levels.
0: Overboard I, is a recent one.
1: Oh, I haven't seen that in so long.
0: Don't. It'll ruin it. <laughs> it'll ruin it. I mean, what is helpful sort of is that they're married in real life. But okay, okay. the it's very rapey. It's not great.
1: I mean, you know, Sixteen Candles used to Oof. be one of my favorite movies. And re-watching that in the last, you know, 15 years or whatever, the racism... Yep. The, the like sexual assault that is just through. I mean, it's just it's
0: horrendous. Yeah. It's
1: like, it's so I'm like, how did I, how did I just consume this without questioning any of these things? Mm-hmm. And then I, then again, I mean, I think then this is like the, you know, the way that our brains work. It's like that. I'm like, Oh my God, like the ways in which that I've been participating in these systems is, you know, like blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. then I get swept up in that spiral. All of this is to say when Harry and Sally, it's pretty imp- like it's a movie from I think
0: 1989,
1: mm-hmm. and it still feels watchable to me. And it's so smartly written, and it's just the performances. It's just like their chemistry is amazing. It just makes me feel so good. And it is that kind of New York City romance that feels very authentic to New York. Doesn't feel like a fictionalized version of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have always just loved. That movie. And then I, I'm a romance book reader, and you know, everything from like Pride and Prejudice to like I read fantasy, I read current contemporary romance, I read some historical. And the thing that's really wonderful about romance is that basically the only requirement is that there's going to be like a happily ever after at the end. Mm-hmm. Like we know that the people in this romance are going to end up together. And for me, existing as a human, like nothing is more comforting than just knowing even though i go on the journey of the book and every time i'm like uh oh they might not make it <laughs> just know like just it feels like i'm being held you know when i read these mm. books and i think that's what i love so much as a romance reader um and that is why i enjoy writing it and mm. hopefully giving that to somebody else but yeah those you know i mean i can name some authors that i love um obviously pride and prejudice is <laughs> like a permanent influence in my life. Yep. Um, Christina Lauren are some contemporary romance authors who write as a pair. They write under one name, but they're two people who have been like my, they're, they're friends of mine. They've been like super supportive and their writing is like the tightest and the best. Um, Jasmine Guillory is another writer and a friend and another person who's amazingly supportive and her books, like she just does such a great job. I mean, actually she deals with mental health. Um, in a lot of her books, but her most recent one, um, she deals with like anxiety and and therapy, and um, but also just writes these really wonderful, sweet romances between people. I mean, there's just there's just so many good ones out there.
0: So many good ones. Have you ever read uh, all the bright places? No, but I
1: will add it to my TBR so, list.
0: It's a it's a YA, um, kind of a heartbreaking love story. Um, so it it, it it maybe doesn't have or follow the traditional model of a mm-hmm, romance. Mm-hmm. Uh but it's it's so beautiful and it's written by my friend Jennifer Niven, uh who's written a bunch of wonderful books. Anyways.
1: Well now I'm also saying that this was a movie that it, I can watch on Netflix as well. I, so
0: I'm all in. so I ha- I've purposefully avoided the movie because I know mm. it's gonna be hard emotionally. <laughs>
1: Yeah, this looks like it's going to be hard. I mean, sometimes I will say I love a good movie or book cry where you are like just so put on your ass with sorrow and grief and like feeling all the feels for these characters. Mm-hmm. Like, boy, sometimes that's a journey.
0: All the Bright Places is that. It's that seems very like it's going to do that. I know from
1: yep. I'm just doing yep. it, giving it a brief Google. And I'm like, oh, boy, this is going to this is going to be hard. Um, sometimes that's what you need.
0: Yeah, I for sure, for sure. I I I am like you know the the listeners know know this about me, but like growing up being a, a reader and and spending time in the library and whatnot, like my go to mainstay books were like the stuff that made you cry, like Where yeah. the Red Fern Grows, oh, God. right? I mean, devastating. But like Bridge
1: to Terabithia, you ever read yes, that one? Yes, yes,
0: to Terabithia, <laughs> yeah, all that stuff is is brutal. And so I don't know, there's something for me that was always so deeply emotionally raw and resonant about those stories but i want to get back to this idea about like romance as a genre being this like bow or this hug mm. right mm. that you that you said this this well it's it's this contained thing you know it's going to presumably end in this happily ever after mm-hmm. and what is powerful about that is that flies in the face of what life is, right? Life is not that. Life is a mystery. Life is overwhelming. Life is like, there's so much we don't know. We don't know what happens when we die. And so there is, in my mind, and I'm wondering what it is for you, in my mind, that feels like like I can breathe a little bit and have this space to kind of be in my imagination and, and think that like, hey, it's gonna be okay for a little bit.
1: Uh oh, yeah, I mean I love I love how you just phrase that. And you know, it's tricky because sometimes really awful things happen in these books, you know, like they <laughs> you can like be devastated reading some of these freaking romance books. Yeah. But you kind of know at least there's going to be this moment at the end. I mean, for me it's just I kind of came to romance when I was like really grieving my mom's death. And it was like the, the first thing I was kind of able to read Mm. and it felt so good. And that is like where, like what I always kind of come back to is like, I was able, I was able to pick up this book, which was twilight. Okay. Yeah. It was was, that was the, that's the first book I remember reading after my mom died. And it took me two years after she died to even like get to a book as far as i can recall
0: yeah
1: um and it it just helped me with my trauma in a way that i don't think i was expecting and i come to that a lot because you know romance is really trivialized as a genre i think because it's predominantly written by women and read by women and number one it's like the best selling genre of books mm. so like that's like if we're talking about capitalist value capitalistic value like it's very high up there but also like the way in which it was the thing that was able to offer some healing for me is that is like really powerful and i come back to Mm. that a lot um but also like i'm not in a deep state of grief right now and like it's still all i want to read although let me backtrack no this pandemic has been has been grief and there's a collective grief that we're also, I think, kind of avoiding as a, as Mm -hmm. a a humanity. And um, that has been, it has been helpful getting me through that as well.
0: Mm. Yeah. I love that. And I love that. And I'm grateful to hear that, that, I mean, not being able to read a book for two years, like that is, that is some heavy, heavy grief.
1: Yeah. And I don't, maybe, maybe I did. I honestly, like, the the grief was so overwhelming that i don't i don't recall like there's a there's a p ptsd element
0: to yeah, it plays grief. with your memory in mind yeah yes sure.
1: yes and so i i just don't have a lot of recollection of the first couple of years after my mom died and the point that it like things pick up for me again is when i read twilight and that mm. is like and, and so anytime that's the other thing is that i think a lot about with books is you know, talking down about what we choose to read or about what other people are reading or, you know, like calling things guilty pleasure or like trashy or whatever. It's like, no, the, like Twilight is not a critically acclaimed book. And it's a young adult book about a very problematic vampire. But like, it literally saved me. And so I just think like, there's no, there can be no judgment when it comes to, for the okay. most part, when it comes to literature, right? Like-
0: Agreed. I mean, we have. You've got a
1: beautiful bookshelf behind you.
0: Thank you. I think we have a book at the top there that's called "Sinful Cowboy." It's like one of those
1: freaking love it. That sounds one of those like
0: smut novels from the fifties.
1: That sounds Um, amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think what what is such a like universal truth there that I love is is that is that like it can be for you for, for some twilight is not going to be their thing and that's okay for yes, you. It, it was, uh, it's beautiful that this like why a uh, <laughs> vampire story, uh, was helpful in your trauma processing. That's beautiful. And I it think like was such a good reminder that, that we, we should not be judgmental of what we're reading and how we're, um, processing whatever we need to process because it's all Mm. very personal yeah for sure right yeah so how has the how is your grief nowadays like do you i know like it's been some time since you lost your mom um you're a mom now like Mm. what's how does that does it come up for you you know in in that sort of context as you as a mom and how has that been for you the last few years
1: yeah i mean i you know i had my first child in 2010 and my mom died in 2007 Mm. so it was about like two and a half years after she died and so it's been different throughout the experience of being a parent um And now I'm kind of in in like a real place of like mostly kind of acceptance and, you know, being able to share my mom with my daughters and talk about, I talk about her all the time and, you know, just, you know, or she's a part of, she's a part of things, even though she's not physically alive. But then there's always moments of like A lot of anger. I think anger is kind of has always been the emotion I've come back to. My mom was 57 when she died. She had a pancreatic cancer and it was like super fast. She like Mm. got diagnosed. She was in great health, living her life. And then it was like boom. The next day she had terminal cancer. And then nine months later she was dead. And so that kind of was a whiplash experience. Yeah. And I was 27 when she died. And so there are days where I'm like, I get so mad and I'm like, I can't fucking believe like my mom will never get to meet my kids. It's shitty. never even, It just, it just makes me like at like the core, just like enraged. And then I'm like yeah. enraged that my kids will never know her. And then I do all this thinking of like, God, what would she be like? And what would it be like if she was here? And, mm. you know, there's also kind of like, you know i also tend to not ever think about like what fights would we be having it's all just like <laughs> how great would this be <laughs> but Naturally. i really yeah but i was really close with my mom and my mom was a really great person we did not have a like she was a very emotionally healthy person and an excellent parent you know like mm. parental relationships can really vary and so i feel very lucky that we had a really good one and which I'm grateful that I had that for the time that I did. But then I also, I'm like, it would be so awesome. Yeah. You know, like I wanted to like go on trips with my mom as an adult mm. and, all, and all sorts of things. Like I could yeah. go into a extended list of all the things that I'm angry about that she's not here to do with me or see or experience or even like, you know, like she never got to have an iPhone. Like I think about <laughs> dumb things like, that. <laughs> like, like you never, uh-huh. but then she also like missed, the last like five years of like American hell politics, it would have, you know, she was very progressive and it would have really this would have really been rough for her. So
0: yeah.
1: Anyway, so but these are the things you think about. I'm like, God, I can't believe you've missed all this. Um it is hard. And, And oh it's okay. You know, it's also okay. And I also I do feel like um I wouldn't be who I am now if my mom hadn't died. And so, like, that's also a r- real doozy to really dwell upon. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think I would, I might not even have my kids. I mm. wouldn't, maybe wouldn't have this career that I have. I wouldn't, it, like, it's just, you know, I, I gained a lot of, I think, empathy and compassion for Mm -hmm. others after losing my mom and like I wouldn't have that (laughs) you know so like I don't know it's such a it's such a mind fuck to think about how these things change you and change the trajectory of who you are um
0: yeah it's both and it's it's fucking terrible and tragic that your mother died totally and it's given you you know this experience and you get this this perspective and you know it's all of it yeah
1: yeah, like I am. I, in many ways, I am grateful for the experience of grief because I feel such a deeper connection to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, I ha I had, and have had a life that is like filled with a lot of privilege, and not just like financial security, let's say, but like the privilege of not having gone through losing people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, you know, that loss of my mom has t- has taught me a lot. It's and it's really shaped me. That being said, like I wish I would rather have her like be here, but you know, we can't yeah. can't rewrite it. So, yeah. Ooh, I don't know if I an- I don't know if I answered it, but I I just there's no like, answer, Kate. There's no answer. It's, Thank you. You're right. And grief <laughs> is a more grief changes. Yes. And it never goes away. But I do feel comfort in the fact that I am now like fifteen years out of losing my mom and it does lighten like it does lessen and it does shape you differently um and because Mm. in those first couple years it was it was a real deluge of just i felt like i lived in a cloud like i just my head i never was fully there
0: yep understandable so here's a fun exercise that i just thought of okay what would your mother say about in a new york minute
1: oh i think she would be so proud i think she would really enjoy it i think she would have liked it i think she would have loved it and i think she'd be i think she'd be really happy that i figured out what i love to do and have mm-hmm. been able to do it cuz I, I i she died at a time where i was like very kind of chaotic in terms of like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Like she never got to see me figure it out. And I think she was worried about me. Mm. You know, she wrote, she wrote me, she wrote like a bunch of people letters that we got after she died. And I could see in hers, like, I think she was worried about me not knowing what I wanted to do and making myself feel bad about that. And she was basically like, I think I forget it. I have it somewhere and I read it periodically and cry. Um, but her words are basically like, don't make yourself feel bad that you care so much about pe- people. Cause I'm such a highly sensitive person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, she, and she was like, don't ever change that. Cause that would not be you. And I, that's has stuck with me. Mm. So yeah, I think she would be fucking into it. She'd be super stoked and, and enjoy it. She was a, she was a mystery reader. She was a really big mystery right. reader. Right. So but I think she would definitely be
0: be very proud. It's oh, beautiful. Yeah,
1: yeah, I feel yeah. I feel comfortable knowing that. Like I I feel at ease with all that stuff.
0: Hmm. I love that. I so I saw. I think on Instagram you posted something about, or it was a picture of you and your mom. You were on a horse, and oh, then yeah. a, a recent picture of you on a horse. And you are you a horse girl? So. Yes just re just context real quick so i married into horse girl world uh jessica wanted to be a pony forever mm-hmm. like just literally she wanted to be a pony oh i understand <laughs> and I'm- she uh i think her parents moved from like maryland to the city of orange in 84 jessica would have been 3 and it was a equine community and so she grew up around horses and like helped neighbors brush their hair and like eventually was in 4-H. She was one of those 4-H babes. And uh, and then eventually like got a horse. And then so I, you know, we married in 2010. I, we came into it. She had a horse. So was like, oh, this, we have horses now. So we have horses. <gasps> Kate Spencer. I'm so
1: jealous. I'm <laughs> driving down there.
0: You're welcome to visit ASAP. the horses anytime. They're they are Percheron, like oh, half drafts, uh, so oh they're bigger, God. bigger than they're beautiful. Yeah. Anyways, tell me about your connection with horses and why you love horses.
1: Oh, first of all, I can't wait to befriend your spouse and just weasel my way into. She would love horse that. horse stuff. Um, I yeah, I was a horse girl and my mom was a horse girl so mm, <laughs> then i tried okay. to turn my daughters into horse girls and both of them were like nope not our thing <laughs> um so you know to each their own but i just i started riding i think when i was like 7 or 8 i just loved being around horses and that's still what it is for me like i i never really took to like showing or you know horseback riding can get especially like english
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's very
1: serious, very fast and that part of things has never really appealed
0: to me and so well and it, horse people can uh, be a little nutty and high and mighty.
1: Yes, and it's an ec- incredibly um expensive activity, yes. right? Yes. Like it's it's so there's a lot of like you're you're already entering into a community where there's a lot of affluence and like it's just it's it's not the easiest world to kind of exist in, but I went to horseback riding camp and I actually I was born without a middle name and my parents like whenever I asked them about it, they were like, We we wanted you to be able to choose your middle name. Okay. So when I was seven, I chose horse and I would sign my name Kate Horse Spencer. <laughs> and I had oh like gosh. we we and I also would sign my name with a little horse head and, so and then my parents were like, No, it's not gonna be horse. Um you have to have Elizabeth but you your said- grandmother's name. Yeah. Like, what? Come on, guys. Yeah. They said, and they were like cool parents, you know, they they were kind of like hippies of the the 60s. So anyway, I I just horses for me, and you know, I've kind of gotten back into riding in the last few years and am now navigating like what does it mean? What does riding look like to me? And I mm. really just I love getting to be around horses. I just think they're such like intuitive creatures. Yep. And I have finally realized that like horseback riding can be what I want it to be. So I I first when I got back to it I was taking lessons at like a barn that was very focused on like kind of english and showing and hunter jumper stuff and then I was like I don't enjoy this anymore. Like I don't want to this isn't how I want to ride. I want to learn how to ride western. Like I want to I want to ride pleasure style and I want to like go on horses and go out in nature. Mm-hmm. So then I broke my hand, and so I had to take a break completely from horseback riding. But I actually just um, reached out to a trainer and was like, "This is kind of what I'm interested in—like horses and in, in, like, intuitive relationships and getting to ride for pleasure and not worrying about, you know, all the rigidity that can come with it." And so I'm going to have my first um, lesson with her in a few weeks.
0: That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And I, so I used to ride with Jessica back when, you know, back when I was still trying in our relationship. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) uh, Back when I was still trying to prove my worth. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Um, It's just hard on my back, but I do... I think horses are magical beings, and they do remind us to check in with ourselves because you they pick up on everything emotionally that's going on. If you're feeling anxious, they're going to feel it too, you know? And Jessica has always been a, a more sort of natural horsemanship uh, style. Um, and I, I have another recommendation for you, Kate. It's, it's this documentary called Buck. Have you seen oh it?
1: No, I've never even heard of it.
0: It's about this guy named Buck Brannaman, who's sort of the founder of natural horsemanship. And it's, mm. it's a, it's a documentary. It's a short documentary it came out, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. And it will, it will it's another one of those devastating things. Uh, and it's beautiful. And I I remember bawling uh, uncontrollably, but uh, if you're interested in that world, it's beautiful.
1: I am, I am really interested in it. There's like such an, natural horsemanship and also this kind of like intuitive horsemanship i'm very Mm -hmm. curious i'm really hoping to kind of get to learn more about that in the next few years and like my dream is to have my own horse that's been my dream since i was a child i've never had one someday someday i just want a horse you
0: will you will get it and i believe you i believe too and i i think what is crucial about the intuitive piece or the natural horsemanship is is it's it's a partnership, it's a relationship. It's yes. less about like and I do we sort of train our dogs kind of in this same way. It's like we're we're a pack together. Mm-hmm. We're in this together. I'm not sort of like I'm a human. I'm in will I'm in I'm putting my dominance on you because I am the number one or whatever. It's not that. It's more about like we're in this together. Let's yeah. like like let's create a and 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 folks can like do the most beautiful things with horses through that lens dancing, you know, all of it. Right. Um, Cavalia. Have you ever heard of that? Uh Oh Oh, yeah. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Um, Horses
1: are, they can do incredible. I mean, they are incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Slash. They can also be like, you know, humans can deeply abuse them and that can be a whole other, other thing. So I love, I love learning about this documentary. Sounds great. I will definitely watch it.
0: Well, Open invitation, truly, to visit the horse horses Don't. anytime. You're
1: not that uh, far from me down in uh, the We're
0: in oak this. Island. We're in this weird little rural pocket um, where you know our house was built in the 30s. Mm. We have these hundred-year-old oak trees. Um, we have, we're on a dirt road and septic and stuff. Um, and then right up the hill, it's it's the OC. You know, um, it's so, wild. California
1: is yeah. so interesting. Like for those of us who aren't from here. I didn't realize there was such kind of like a rural aspect to it. Mm. Um, you know, like albeit like be at the Central Valley or even like here in Los Angeles where like you can just like ride a horse in the park. You know, yes. I just I had no idea. I just assumed it was like a all very urban or suburban. And so that's a really I think it's a really special part about California.
0: I agree. Yeah, I agree. So, let's talk about empathy heroes. This is okay. kind of how we wrap up the show. Uh my guest, which is you, Kate Spencer. And I mentioned uh, someone in our lives who is empathetic, compassionate, feely, someone who just brings out the empathy in the world and and us. Um, I will go first to give you a moment to reflect. So I I think I mentioned this one before, um, but I have to mention it again. Uh, I watched a movie recently, twice, in fact, in the theaters called... Everything, everywhere, all at once.
1: Okay, I haven't seen it yet, but I know I need to see it in a theater.
0: You need to see it in the theater. I've heard that. Okay. So upon my first viewing, I we had to wait ten minutes to leave the theater because I was crying. So like just full face, ugly ugly, heaving cries, and Jessica was like, "I don't, I don't know him. Like he's." (laughs) It was like one of those. Um, She was joking, but like it was. It's just like it's so emotionally resonant on so many different levels from like the child of immigrant perspective from like a mental health perspective from a from a feeling overwhelmed by all of the stuff in the mm. world perspective it is so good and and bonkers silly and bonkers beautiful and it, it just like I think it's truly an empathetic work of art and so and, and something for you listeners if, if you're if you haven't seen it like you will connect to you will feel your whole humanity in you will feel seen, you will feel like you're being hugged uh as as Kate said earlier about romance uh books it It's truly something special and i it's an independent movie, so go see it in the theaters if you can um it's great that it's everything everywhere all at once.
1: I'm dying to see that, yeah, I really need to go. I'm gonna try to go next week actually while i'm uh out of town and without children,
0: yes. Yes. So
1: I'm gonna bring someone to the conversation who I don't know. <laughs> oops, I don't know personally. Okay. Um, they're a magician. So my husband and I are obsessed with this magician. His name is Helder, and I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna try to my best to pronounce his last name. I believe he's Portuguese. It's Guimaraes. You can find him at this is Helder H-E-L-D-E-R.com. Okay. So we have seen three of his magic shows, and and his shows are like they're part storytelling, part magic, just part kind of like wonder. And I find that the the kind of storytelling he brings to the show, like for example, I just saw his most recent show called Back to Wonder. It's here in Los Angeles. And it's this incredible kind of it's a magic show, but it's immersive and he what he's exploring this is this idea of like being present of finding value of the moments in life that mean the most to us about why things are like are meaningful to us as individuals. I mean, it's just, it's mm. so poignant that at the end of this magic show, I was, I was like in tears, mm. um, but not to mention he's like an incredible magician. So he's like doing <laughs> like taking <laughs> you through on this journey. And it actually starts like, you meet somewhere that they tell you the location the day of, and you get on a bus where the windows are completely covered and they drive you to a secret location and, you know, you have to turn your phones off. So it's having, they're having you be tr- try to be truly present and experience wow. what that feels like. And also it explores this idea of like secrets and who we are. I mean, this guy is amazing and makes you truly feel things as you also listen to him speak and tell stories through magic i could go wow. on and on i'm like i'm obsessed with and if you ever get the opportunity to see him do any of his shows like do not hesitate he's f- absolutely fantastic as a storyteller I, and a yeah. magician
0: that so, he sounds amazing what, what's amazing. the url again
1: the url is this is helder.com and he's funny like it's it's so joyful and human and like and it's moving right. he's just the best like, cannot recommend this guy enough.
0: I, I, so did you see In and of itself?
1: Yes, yes. Yep. It, it's has, it's that, it's come that kind of family of magic.
0: Yeah, I love yes. that. I, I was very moved by that. I only saw it. I didn't see it live. I only saw the Hulu version of it. But
1: my husband saw it live.
0: Did he? I saw the
1: Hulu, I saw the Hulu version, and I thought it was moving. But he, yes, he saw it live. I'm okay. very jealous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is another thing we share. We like. We like magic. <laughs> I love magic.
0: Magic is wonderful. Yeah. Now, I, I gotta check out this Helder, uh this Elder uh, oh, guy. Um, check him out. Amazing. Uh so Kate. Yes. You have in a New York minute. You're on your way to romance stardom. Uh what definitely what do you want to tell the listeners about the book? Like how like, how do you love describing it, um, and then, and then, where can they connect with you, and where can they order it, and all that lovingness? Sure.
1: So, in a New York minute, I believe is a it's a true romantic comedy, um, and I have actually I've been really pleasantly pleasantly surprised to hear from people who are like, I never read romance or I th- I just bought your book because, you know, to support you and then I read it and I loved it. Like, <laughs> what is this genre? But it's it is a um you know, it's a story that starts with two people who meet in an incredibly uh awkward way that goes viral for all the wrong reasons and then they have to navigate this relationship that, you know, starts in a very public manner uh in which they feel like they have nothing in common but kind of begin to discover that they're way more similar than they think. And it all takes place with the backdrop of New York city and with these kind of great groups of chosen family uh, you know, amazing friendships um, which was really a pleasure for me to explore as a person who really values my own friendships in my life and the roles that they have played. And above all, it's funny and sweet and it will hopefully make you feel very, very good at the end of it. And you can, You can buy it anywhere books are sold, anywhere you get audiobooks, like Libro FM, any independent bookseller. If it's not at the bookstore, they can order it for you. You can also get it at your local library or on any digital library app. I mean, it is truly, it's truly anywhere. And you can also find me online. Um, I'm at katespencerwrites.com or on Instagram at katespencer. And I co-host a podcast called Forever 35, which you can listen to three times a week. It's all about self-care. It's it's empathy adjacent, I think, in many ways. Well you and you've listened, so you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: it's wonderful. It's great. Uh, highly recommend Forever 35. And highly recommend in in a New York Minute listeners. I listened to the audiobook. I thought it was and the the, the voice actors were great. Yeah, like, they're I, really good. Yeah, they're really good. I was I was like you never know. Like I think I've listened to some books that I've read sort of in print. Uh, and then the, the the narration isn't it kinda like isn't as good or doesn't seem to match, but like I think they were great. So Yeah,
1: I thank you. I, I yeah I was so thrilled by them. I mean what like a what an art form it is to narrate a book. I mean, wow. Surely.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's great. And uh listeners, I'll make sure to include all the links to those places uh in the show notes. I love bookshop.org. If you yeah. don't have a local independent shop, like they support local independent bookstores near you or adjacent to you. Um, but yeah, I'll make sure to include all the links to that in the show notes at feelyhuman.co. Kate Spencer, thank you so much for being a part of You Me Empathy. I appreciate you.
1: This was such a delay. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course, horsey girl. I'm grateful. <laughs> to- See you at
1: the barn because I'm on my way. <laughs>
0: Yes, yes, we can. We can. Uh, I don't know. Shovel manure together oh, or something.
1: I love. I mean, truly, I love. I love the way manure smells. Not going to lie.
0: Our dogs dogs love eating it. So. I believe that.
1: I believe that. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't take it that far personally, but I can see how a dog would.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, this has been a delight, and to you listeners, as I always say, I'm here. You're here. We're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring, pale blue dot. We have each other. It's Yumi Empathy. La, la, la. La,
1: la.